Hi, this is Simon Hardy. I work for the England rugby team, and I'm welcoming you to Aruga Matrix USA. Thanks for that welcome, Simon. Yes, this is Rugga Matrix USA. The world's most quoted podcast is now stateside. I'm your host, Juro Sin, joined in a moment by my co-host, Bruce McLean. Simon Hardy from England Rugby Talks USA Rugby, and we look at the World Cup. This is Episode 1. Welcome to the show, brought to you by the USA 7. Yes, hello and welcome. I'm your host, Juro Sin, host of Rugger Matrix, now Rugger Matrix USA. Pretty excited about this project because my good mate from New York City is my partner in crime. It is Thanksgiving when we record this. Bruce, sorry about that, but uh, hello to you. Hey, no big deal, Drew. I love talking rugby anytime. Thanksgiving, I'm giving thanks for rugby and how much it's given me in my life. It's pretty awesome and it's great to be doing a show with you, buddy. I'm, I'm glad to be working with you. Well, in a moment, we speak to Simon Hardy and uh, looking forward to his expert opinion and what he thinks of USA Rugby at the moment. But before we get underway, let's just quickly say what we're about. And even before that, congratulations to the USA Eagles qualifying for the World Cup in 2011. Yeah, it was great to go that Uruguay was beaten by the USA in a home and away series. And I think the boys are pretty excited now for the opportunity to play in the World Cup and they're prepared to do the work necessary to lift their games. Um, and I, I think that things are going to expand a bit as far as style of play. And I think they kind of tried not to beat themselves and just qualify. And I think Eddie's going to make himself, Eddie O'Sullivan's going to make himself a bit more available to the leading programs and to the development programs and age grade rep programs and stuff to help identify and develop the talent more so than he had in the past because he was worried about qualifying. And, and uh, Luke Gross, also a lineout specialist, is excited for that opportunity as well. And I think we have a good opportunity now to, to, to lift our game as a nation, and, and it's up to us to do the work. And, you know, the, one of the things is it's pretty clear to anyone with a set of eyes and an IQ over about 40 that Todd Clever is the class player on our team. And what that says to me is that we need to find an opportunity for our players to go and develop their game in, in, in leading countries with leading coaches. And I think a few of the boys are going to get a chance to do that. Many of them are actively looking for opportunities. I spoke to some of them after the game on Saturday. I was, I was fortunate enough to be able to go down there and watch it live. And they're finding a bit of success in the process. And I think this is only going to help us because we have a very challenging pool with uh, Australia, Ireland, Italy, and uh, Europe 1. I'd so love be good. I'd love to see an American player playing in the new Melbourne franchise for the Super 15. They are... They are looking for foreign players. Most of them will be from the Pacific region, but it's a good, I think, a good excuse and a good opportunity to get one of your better, better guns to play down under. There's probably one or one or two who, who may fit that bill. It'd be, be very interesting if they if they would have the trust level to give to an American player, because as you know, in, in the NFL you, you don't get fired for uh, for drafting a guy at a USC. But you do get fired for drafting a guy out of Eastern Kentucky. And, uh, you know, that's the equivalent. You don't get fired for drafting that Fijian winger into your side as a foreigner. You may get fired for drafting that American American player in there. So that's, that's, that's the difficulty that they face there as far as their management teams. They don't want to get fired. So it's, it's, it's hard to take risks like that early on. But we'll see. It'd be interesting if they did it. All right. To Simon Hardy at the moment. But very quickly, let's just explain to the listeners what we're all about. Rugger Matrix USA. This is a USA podcast. That's for sure. 
Yeah, this is definitely a USA podcast. And what we want to do is we want to discuss some of the issues that are going on in American rugby at the moment. And we want to bring on some leading people in USA rugby. And, and we've spoken to Todd Clever is going to pop on. Uh, Mike Tolkien is going to pop on. Eddie O'Sullivan is going to pop on. Nigel Melville is going to pop on. Uh, Dan Payne would like to pop on. Dave Hodges would like to pop on. Luke Gross would like to pop on. So every week we're going to be getting, and, and many of the other players want to pop on as well. The players really would like to be on it. So every week we're going to try to get ourselves, you know, a little bit of a, a little bit of talking going between dialogue, going between the coaches, possibly coaches and players, discussing some uh, some coaching strategies, some things that, that possibly the Eagles are doing. The players talk to how they how they're going how they're going either domestically or whether whether they're playing overseas. Todd will probably be the first player we get on, and he could discuss his new Lions contract. And but this week we we brought in a a guy who's had a bit of experience in in USA Rugby with development camps and he's also had a, a lot of experience and he, he's one of the leading reasons that he, his philosophy has really helped shaped Mike Tolkien and I's outlook and, and what and a lot of the things that we do at New York Athletic Club have been shaped by Simon Hardy and Simon also has a lot of experience in developing countries uh, like Spain and 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 he, he'll discuss those as we speak to him. I know you've got a couple of other issues to talk about. Let's save that for the moment and bring Simon Hardy in. Simon Hardy joins us from London tonight. Simon, welcome to the program. Simon, of course, you're an England specialist coach, but as Bruce said, you have some intimate knowledge of American rugby, in particular New York Athletic Club. What a club, but we can't be biased about New York all the time. Simon, good evening to you. Hi, how's it going? Uh, Really good to be with you guys. Um, I'll just... Love rugby, love talking about it. I'm fortunate enough to be part of the England setup, which won the 2003 World Cup. But I spend a lot of time helping friends, and uh, I think Bruce is a great friend of mine. And it's good to go across to uh, New York and offer advice. And if he takes it, that's even more of a <laughs> well. Simon, I was part of the setup who lost the 2003 World Cup for Australia. So it's good to have you on in that regard. Maybe there's a conversation we can have later on, but it was a tremendous victory. A lot of great players at the time. Simon, very quickly, you're a specialist coach, but what are you specialising in at the moment? Uh, at the moment, I deal with lineouts. Um, I'm used as a specialist throwing coach. I work out lineouts, and for this season, I'm going to be the Saxons forwards coach. Uh, I was the Saxons forwards coach in 2008 and 2007 at the that those Churchill Cups. So uh, pretty extensive, been around a little bit, uh, worked with a whole host of different teams. So I appreciate the different levels of rugby that take place from the very elite to uh, to the developing. All right, Simon. So let's uh, quickly look at the USA then and... Uh... You must be, uh, I mean, happy for the game that the, the U.S. Is, is at the World Cup officially now. You went to that Saxon series, but uh, they had some work to do to get qualified. Where do you think they are, and will, are they capable of producing any uh, sort of upset come 2011 New Zealand? Yeah, of course they are. I mean, every, every team is, is based around its, its strengths, uh, providing you, I think, providing you work to what culture American culture, as opposed to trying to come up with some uh, all singing, all dancing game. If you if you settle down to your culture and you work on the basics, uh, you're in with a good shout. I mean, the pool is really tough. I mean, you've got to take on the Italians, who are going to be 
big, lumpy, you're going to need to take them on up front, and the Australians are going to try and run patterns and run you ragged, and your fitness levels are going to have to uh, be really high in order to, to stay in that sort of game. Simon, when you were working in 2000 and 2003 and the lead-up to 2003, you talk a lot about how vision really led into things. And can, can you talk about what it was in England that made that helped to make you guys to start to make you successful in the build from when you started in 1999 and when you and when you really started rocking into 2003 and going into some of the big victories and some of the things that you guys did that maybe were a little bit revolutionary at the time as far as uh, as playing, winning behaviors and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, th- I think the big the real big factor was Woodward. He he just created an environment that was really special and people wanted to join it. And what he then did, he carefully vetted everybody. So he got the best coaches, the best medics, the best manager, the best of everything. And he only took them on if they agreed with his vision. So everybody knew exactly what was expected. Everybody fitted in together. But I have to say, that didn't stop in our management room or our war room as he liked to call it it didn't stop the discussion the big arguments the shouting about tactics etc but at the end of the day when we left that room we were all singing from the same sheet he used he always used the phrase noses in the same direction and i think that went right the way through the team and that was massively important the collective is huge that is number one Uh, you and mckenzie used a different phrase Simon, which was uh you know, the northbound train, and if you want to head south, then jump off. It, it is probably the most singular thing, because if you don't get the direction right, <laughs> then there's, what, what hope have you got on the paddock? You're absolutely... I mean, the phrase Clive Woodward kept using was if... He, he described players who were hard workers, energy sappers, and if they sap too much energy from the coaching team and from their the rest of their mates, then he got rid of them, because... You, you cannot, it, it is a collective game. We, we talk about all these individual skills, but at the end of the day, rugby is the finest collective game there is, and you you do have to work together, and it, it caters for everybody, doesn't it? It caters for your props, it caters for your second rows, and it takes and it caters for your real speedies. Uh, and they all, but they all got to play it, they've got to play their role, and they've got to know what that role is. Simon, you really, you when, when you think about the build-up, you guys started from basics and led yourself all the way into winning behaviors. Can you kind of talk us through what that, what, what those basics are and, and, and pressuring and, and patience and all the things that, that were very important to you guys as a team and how it led to your, your success in the World Cup? Yeah, well, what we did, it was interesting. We sat down with a guy called Yuda Shinar. I'm not sure if I pronounced his name right. He was an Australian specialist in leadership. He came over to England for two days and we created what Woodward described and what the rest of us described as our winning behaviours. And we worked out that if we got our winning behaviours right, we would win our games. It was as simple as that. So if we won in my area, if we won 90% of our line out and 80% of it was good quality possession, the chance are we'd win the game. If we gave away less penalties than the opposition, with Johnny Wilkinson in the team, we are likely to win the game. If we make 95% of our tackles, we are likely to win the game. And we, and we looked at it and very much like a business. And all the areas had their targets, 
everybody had a target to work to, and if we achieved those targets, we knew we were going to win the game. And that's where it came from. Can I ask you another question about those specific areas with stats? Yeah. Because um, I've seen a lot of players throughout the years who come to the board on Monday and they look at the stats sheet and they want to be the stats man. Um, if I take that a step further and look at, say, the defence coach who says, well, no one breached our line, but someone kicked uh, 15 penalties against us, can, can you then also then claim that you're, you're a good defence coach? Uh, my theory is no, because you haven't trusted your defence and you, you've given away penalties. So there, there can be a downside to that, Simon. So how do you handle that? Well, yeah, you handle that by the guy at the top controlling it. So somebody like me, I'll be sitting there with a line out with a back row of Delalio, Richard Hill, Neil Back. Aerially, that's not very good. And I'd be arguing my case, say, no, I need another jumper. And the argument is, no, the team philosophy and this t- our number one winning behavior was team defense. So our selection went down that defensive route. And it meant that possibly we didn't select our best attacking player if we felt he couldn't defend. But but that's how we, we, we based our first winning behavior was on team defense. And then the second one was what we called team basics. So that was our line out, our scrum, and our contact. And it, it, it's the job of the man at the top to pull all those different areas together. And you're right, if if you give away 15 penalties in the contact area because of the way you defend, then no, the defence coach can't hold his hand up and say, we did it. And what he got from us in the end is that we were all working for the same area and we all appreciated the difficulties we would have because of the way the priorities of the team were set up. Simon, you talk you talk about your defense, and then you talk about your basics of scrum lineouts and continuity, and the con- continuity in the contact area. One of the other big things that you guys had was pressure, and and the ability to use time management to think clearly under pressure, and your ability to teacup think clearly under pressure, and and pressure the opposition basics. How important was that? How much time did you work on that in your game plan? Again, it was massive. I mean, the way we planned our week, in those days, we used to train uh, light session Monday, two sessions Tuesday, one session Wednesday, possibly two. We'd have Thursday off, Friday. And in those sessions, every day was there was some defense. And uh, at some point uh, on three days out of those four, we would do line-outs, scrums, and uh, restarts. And, and we built that up and because that was what the team was based on. And we felt that if we got that right, then we would be successful. And we prioritized our skills based on those key winning behaviors. So in the United States... You've got to remember, sorry, we've got a guy called Johnny Wilkinson. If we, if we did those, we'd keep our territory, and he kicked the goals, didn't he? Quick question about how he's going at the moment. He was uh, terrific against Australia back in the international realm, and his defence uh, is just unheralded, isn't it? He's, he's, can he recapture the form that we all knew that uh, and all celebrated from, say, 03? Yeah, I think he can. I mean, you have to remember that in 03, 
that was an exceptional side containing most probably six or seven world-class players. And that makes the difference. You know, he'd, he'd got Matt Dawson inside him. He'd got Will Green with Mike Tyndall outside him. He'd got Jason Robinson as an outlet on one wing. Uh, he'd got a, a set of forwards that could sear, that could drive the ball. I mean, if the, I mean, I remember reading the the Aussie press in the summer when we played you in Melbourne, and we we drove the ball sort of 20 and 30 meters at a time, hmm. and we got absolutely slated for it. But in terms of a winning mentality, it was just setting the scene. And and Johnny is a great player, but like all good players, because we've we've talked about it already at the start, it is a collective game. And he needs good players around him to really shine. Sai, you have you have some experience in the USA Super League with the with the New York Athletic Club. And you've seen actually a few of our games um when we've sent over DVDs to you and, and, and done a bit of taken a bit of looks and done a bit of analysis and saw some of the saw some of the players. Actually coached a few of the players that have, have played in the Super League and that, and that made you laugh a bit. But um how do you see the USA and what we can do based on those games? About five, you know, the, what the games you've seen there's about five or six teams in the league that play that way and to that level. And and they're all pretty equal. And what do you think would be important in in terms of what we do and how we coach and how we play to lift it so that we could be competitive in the World Cup. I'm not saying to win the World Cup. Be competitive with an opportunity to win two games. You, you've got to decide how you are. The, the games I've seen, you're a very physical nation. You've got big guys who are athletic, and you need to incorporate that. So you need to drive your lineouts. You need to create situations where you can drive in midfield. And because you've got big guys, you need to cross the game line. So you don't need anything fancy, you just need to get good carries up to the game line, you need to scrummage well, you need to line out well, and, and, and these are relatively simple things to be successful at. And once you've got that, then you, you've got a, you need two or three decision makers who can actually put it all together. You know, you, you need a right-footed and a left-footed kicker. But they're, they're, simple, they're, they're simple things, and if you keep the game simple, You'll be amazed. I mean, look at Argentina at the moment. Their game plan is unbelievably simple. And they are very, very successful at it because they don't deviate from it. And therefore, their skills in certain things are uh, second to none. They're, they're just brilliant. And you were talking about the Argentina game last week when we had spoken and, 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 and the fact that they were able to land the ball six inches outside the 22 every single time they kicked the bomb. And it's essentially it's a closed chain skill of Absolutely. kicking the ball. And yeah. I, I, I actually and, and one of the other things I remember we were talking after the 2007 World Cup with the ELVs and some things and 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 I had this vision of where I saw the game going and you had the vision of saying we're gonna I think that the teams that are gonna win are gonna be able to scrum the hell out of each other, line the hell out of each other, and kick the plastic off the ball and make every goal kick. And he goes. I don't think they're going to be wanting to play. They're not going to want to play rugby in their own half. And and you were much more prescient than me. I, I thought that the game was going to turn a bit more offensive and, and people were going to actually try to play rugby. But it, it turned out your way. And, and I think that I think that we may be able to play that way. And what's your experience in Spain relative to what you see in the United States? Because you, you, you work with your friend Jed Glynn, who's the head coach of Spain, and you go over there quite a bit to, 
take a look over there and work with those guys down there. And I know you'd like to go to the United States to help out here as well, but you, with the Saxons, I guess it's going to be difficult. Spain, Spain was an interesting. I went across Spain. Uh, they had a coaching camp in the middle of France at Jed Glynn's uh, Outward Bound Center. And I arrived for three days just to help him out. And uh, they're a fascinating bunch because they're, they're a mixture of amateurs and some professionals. They have a completely different culture. The, the funny one was they, they were doing team bonding exercises every day in small groups. And on the last day, their team bonding exercise was creating tappers. <laughs> and I have never seen a group of guys so enthusiastic about getting into a little French village of Maymac, buying all sorts of local produce to produce these tappers and ringing their grandmothers and their aunts and et cetera on getting recipes. And it just, you, and you've got to tap into that. They were really enthusiastic about it and they enjoyed the chaos. They liked the French, they enjoyed the chaos. So you're not going to play a game which is structured. You're not, you're not going to have loads of scrums. You're not going to have loads of line-outs. You're not going to kick the hell out of it. You're going to play an unstructured game because it suits their culture. And, that, and that's where they're happiest. England loved to play. 2003, we, are, we love to queue for things, don't we? Mm. You know, we love to queue for stuff. We like to uh, be disciplined, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what our, our culture is and that's how we play our game of rugby and that's why i think we were very successful at it because because we stayed with it that's a really good point because i look at australia with robbie deans at the chair and he's uh, an enormously successful coach but he has struggled to uh, assimilate into the australian culture and get these guys to win he's not far away but he needs really strong advice to help him out in that regard and um, because we're talking about a, a world power in the game, not not him going to a, a minnow. So it's you're right. It's a, you've got to you've got to nail the culture. You have got to nail the style. What people what people are like, and therefore your game flows out of that. Simon, we talk a lot about the uh, the top three inches yep. and the difference, and I think that feeds into the culture. What Jiro said. So you know, I, yeah, I'd like to hear more about. How did you get that trust, openness to to build in the that elitism? It, you, you know, you called it elitism. You, that's that's what it was when you guys were together. What, how did it? How did that work through your culture and everything like that? Well, hey, you got to remember the team had been together for a long time. That's the first thing, and we'd lost a lot of Grand Slam games on the way. But what what we did, we we. They had a belief, and we also had a phrase, it only takes 20 seconds to score. So you, you don't need, even with two minutes to go, you don't need to panic. You, you trust yourself, and you keep working at it. And all we did, we developed a system by which we trusted everybody around us. We worked exceptionally hard, and it came through. I remember after, during the uh, Grand Slam winning sides before we were in Wales and I was talking to Andy Robinson and he said, we'll know this team's ready to win the World Cup when they can coach themselves in the last week. Mm. And that summed it up. And in that last week, the players almost took control. We directed, we were there, we controlled, we nudged, we pointed little bits out, but most of the sessions were run based on 
how they felt they wanted to play. Well, the, could, they, they bought into it. Could the USA be in that position, to, or, or will they need more control from the from the coaching staff? Well, to be honest, you both probably need a bit more control because you need a bit more experience. Mm. But if if you get the right players in there, and you you create the right team lead. England England use what they call team leaders. So they have a scrum leader, a line-out leader, a defence leader, an attack leader, a restart leader. And these are all coming from the players' ranks. So somebody like line-outs, I would sit down in 2003 or now, I'd sit down with Ben Kay. We would discuss the line-outs we thought would be used. I would have done the analysis. He would have done some analysis. We'd come up with our game plan as to how we'd expect those line-outs to run. And then, basically, he would deliver most of it. And I would just support. And if I felt they needed sharpening up, I'd step in and have a few quick words with various people. And if I felt it was going well, I would sit back and leave them to it, let them get on with it. And as a consequence, when they cross the whitewash, they feel they own it. You know what, Simon? That's very interesting in what you say because I was out with Mike Tolkien last night with Billy Millard, a friend of uh, friend of Juro's, the attack coach at Cardiff, and he said, "How do you know when your team is ready?" And we said, "The only two times it's ever happened is when we've won the the Super League championship, and at the semifinal, the players coached themselves. That once we showed up at the semifinal, we we just went to practice, and they and that was it, and 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 they ran the show." And it was just basically we were there almost for comfort more than anything else. But we didn't have to do anything except say, hey, practice is starting. Hey, you know, Mayo, get them warmed up. That was about the extent of what we did at practice for that last week and a half. And it was it was awesome. It's like the most satisfying feeling. It's like watching your kid grow up and be a man like, you know, he's he's you, he's done it. He's, he's made it. Well, Simon, isn't that an extension of what you do game day? Like, you, all the work's done, and on game day, you have to keep your interference to a minimum because they have to win the game for you. Absolutely. You, you offer advice, you direct them through it, but you hope you've added all the 1%, little 1% in it. And that, that's most of the next thing I'd come on to, is how do you give your team all the 1%? I mean, it was interesting, say, 2003... We knew our first two weeks we were going to be in Perth. So Woodward, in his wisdom, after the summer tour to New Zealand to play the Australia in Melbourne, he took the entire squad to Perth for three days. R&R, stayed in the same, stayed in the same hotel we were going to stay in for those first two weeks. We went to the uh, Perth football ground, which is an Aussie rules football ground, so we got used to playing in an oval and not a, not a rectangle. And it's, it's those little 1% that eventually allow the team just to go and take control and feel part of it. Smart stuff. Um, Simon, we'd uh, love to get you back on at some stage to go more specifically about the line-out. Can we do that? Yeah, hey, it's a pleasure. So, Simon, thanks very much for joining us. Appreciate you uh, on making your time available for the very first show of Rugged Matrix USA. And uh, hopefully your advice helps uh, someone across the country be a better coach and better player. Well, I'm looking forward to coming across for the Churchill Cup this summer and uh, seeing how the USA is progressing towards the World Cup. I wish you boys well.
Thanks a lot, Simon. It's great to have you on. And I, and I know that uh, a lot of people here have taken, taken a lot of your notes that you've sent me in emails that have been dispersed, especially through, uh, through the Super League and through the, the women's national team coaches. Really especially appreciate all the work you've helped us and, and the sharing that you've given us over the many years that, that we've been friends. That's a pleasure. There he is, Simon Hardy, joining us. And, uh, yes, uh, we didn't know each other at the time, but we did go head-to-head, Bruce, in 03. And uh, it's amazing, the attention to detail. I thought Eddie Jones had a lot of attention to detail. But the, the little subtle psychological things that Clive Woodward did back then um, that he certainly didn't repeat in the Lions series, but uh, that were very successful in the World Cup. Yeah, I don't know what exactly. The wheels came off in that Lions series. I thought that uh, they probably took themselves a little bit too seriously <laughs> there. But um, I, it was actually funny. I was watching uh, – in, in 2007, I was watching the World Cup show and as they were going through, and you see as Woodward is walking across to go say something to Eddie Jones or whatever, Ewan McKenzie, there's the – just he walks out of the stands and he brushes him and just goes shoulder like shoulder to shoulder almost like almost like he felt like running him over. You could tell that the fury in his he, he, <laughs> he, I, I think that I think that if he if he knew he if he knew he wasn't on TV and he knew that nobody would ever find out <laughs> that uh, Clive Wood Clive Woodward might have taken one across the nose. But uh, oh, that was uh, yeah that was um pretty pretty funny. But look you know that I thankful for Simon for being on and, and especially since no one's available that was awesome and uh, I'd like to talk about a couple little things Jiro yeah sure far away uh, mate. I tell you although USA Rugby had a huge couple of weeks I have a human interest story four years ago uh, a congress member named Frank Merrill's son was killed in the line of duty as a police officer in California by some thug well on November 25th this useless animal was convicted of murder on all seven counts. But, uh, and nothing's ever going to bring back Frank's son. But I think it's, it, it gives peace to know that this despicable piece of garbage is never going to breathe a piece of free air again. And I, and I say that because my father was a New York City cop and he was paralyzed in the line of duty when I was a little kid. And, I, you know, I'm never going to know the feeling of losing somebody a son like Frank did, you know, and hopefully I'm never going to know that feeling. My, my son's a four, but I, I could take comfort in the fact that Frank got his revenge. And to me, that's great. I just wanted to let everybody know that a lot of people don't know that that happened to Frank. And, and I, I just wanted to kind of put that out there. And to me, that's a big thing. And uh, small, interesting development on the USA rugby board, John Prismack, the uh, CEO of USA Sevens, Rugby Mag, RugbyMag.com. USA Sevens is actually our sponsor, Juro. You'll be talking about them in a second. Yes. A few yes. months ago, they, he put forth a guy named Bob Phillips to be on the board. Now, the, C, the CV or the resume of Bob Phillips, he's about 70 years old. He was the CEO of a billion-dollar company named Unilever. He led the financial effort to build the facility at Dartmouth. There's a massive rugby facility with a clubhouse and everything is at Dartmouth. And he got the endowment together. The, the, Bob Phillips is the guy who did all this. He played for New York Rugby Club. He was a member of, of uh, you know, he was a, a bigwig in the New York area in rugby. And, you know, he... He played with Billy Campbell, who finances Columbia and built the. You know, he was get, and he, and he does the old blue, and these guys are in the same in the same class, and 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 they, 
they rejected him as a member of the board. They and I couldn't believe it. I mean, they put Pete Tetch on, who I I had put up to be on the board, and I'm and I'm obviously I'm ecstatic about that. There were two people, and I don't know why they didn't take take Bob to be the other guy. But there could be an opportunity, as possibly a member of the USA Rugby Board is going to would consider stepping down. And I and I would ask people to contact your congressman to contact. You know, somebody on the board or somebody who's who's in, in your local union, who's who's an officer or something to try to lead an effort to get Bob Phillips to be reconsidered, to be put on the board. I think that it's very important. Remember, A. John Prismac, the CEO of USA Sevens, he he puts his money where his mouth is and, and he doesn't open his mouth. Not a lot of people know who he is, but he owns the USA Sevens and his finance losing venture there. He is he owns the um the rugbymag.com and his own rugby magazine for the past 40 years and been the publisher there. I really think that it, it's a worthwhile endeavor to try to press the issue to get Bob Phillips on the board. I personally met with him. I was super impressed with him. I had no idea who he was until on Tuesday. And let me tell you, this guy is the real McCoy. No joke, no doubt about it. He will do the right thing. And everything you guys talk about on your blogs this is the guy, along with Pete Setcha and people like them, they'll be able to actually recruit talent to the board to be able to get this thing going in the direction we want. Because everybody knows money is an issue. Well, these guys know how to raise it, and, and I think that it's important to have them there. Bruce McLean calling it how he sees it, as always, and that's what we love about you, Bruce. No doubt about it. So you mentioned the uh, Sevens in the USA Sevens in Feb 13-14 of 2010. Now, I remember you talking about last year. It is a pulsating event. It's an unbelievable event. And not only this, it's going to be in Vegas. Can you imagine <laughs> yeah, the man. girls that are going to be in Vegas <laughs> with Todd Clever playing? I mean, they were going crazy in San Diego. You know they're going to be going crazy in Vegas. On top of the fact, they're going to have a gigantic 15s and 7s tournament outside the back. In, in massive fields in the stadium, like bring your team, make it a festival. Sevens is an unbelievable thing. You just spend the day seeing your friends, hanging out, drinking beer, watching great rugby. You got to go to the USA Sevens. You got to make it a, your business to be there. Support these guys, support these players. This is going to be our Olympic sport. This is going to be our chance in 2016 to defend our double gold in 20 and 24. So we got to, we got to build from here. We got to generate some interest in this game, show some love for it. And I think let's go. These guys, they put in the effort, they're doing their thing and it's Vegas. It's Vegas. It's February. The weather's horrible everywhere. Let's go to Vegas. Let's have a good time. It's going to be great. You're not going to get let down. I guarantee you, you're not going to let get let down. Go, go, go. We want you there. you got to be there. That sounds like a good slogan to me. And you've hit the nail on the head. It is the Olympic sport now, thanks to Jonah Lomu and his team who convinced the IOC panel. And I think uh, that is a massive boost for the game in the U.S. Massive, massive boost. And uh, why not kick it off on Feb 13, 14? and uh, get down to Vegas and enjoy the USA Sevens. Bruce, uh, what a cracking first show first up. Uh, really enjoyed chatting to you. We're going to have a heap of more guests 
local guys from the U.S. and international talent that will be focused on the U.S. as well, who've had experience with teams in the United States or played against the United States. And there are a lot of people who've had involvement with the USA over the years. So it's show number one, but we look forward to bringing many, many more to you. We'll continue to build on the site. And, uh, mate, the logo looks terrific. Red, white and blue all the way. My favourite colours. Well, yeah, I got to say, I love it. Got to get you better pictures, Juro. My pictures are dreadful. You know what? Maybe I don't need to get you better pictures. Maybe I just need to lose like 50 pounds. Uh, and got, if I've... I lose, Juro, if I lose 50 pounds, I'll be where I am when I'm really fat. I'll be clinically obese at 50 pounds lighter, but then it'll be okay that way. It won't be you, though. It won't be you, mate. All right, there he is, Bruce McLean. Thanks very much for joining us today. Rugger Matrix. USA episode 001, special guest Simon Hardy. Thanks very much to him. Great insight into the game. Next week, stand by. We'll have a few more uh, scintillating guests over the next couple of weeks. Looking forward to speaking to Todd Clever in particular and uh, his time at the uh, Lions in South Africa. That That is it for episode one. We've got an email address all ready to go. So if you have any suggestions of who we should speak to, any tips for the show, just send them through. That's it for this week. We'll speak to you next week. Happy Thanksgiving, Bruce. Happy Thanksgiving, Bronk.